Thank you for tuning into the Apostolic Pentecostal Church podcast. You are currently listening to one of our iGrow series lessons. If you're in the Bloomington, Illinois area and want to sit in person, feel free to join us Wednesday nights at 7 p.m. for Bible study and Sunday mornings at 10 a.m. for worship in the Word. Can't make it in person? No big deal. Find us on YouTube, Facebook, or Instagram and search Apostolic Pentecostal Church. Either way, we'd love to fellowship and worship with you. We hope to see you. All right. I'm going to talk about James. Uh, this is a really unique uh, topic because, you know, the book of James, because although it's even or only, you know, five chapters long, uh, when you delve into James, it really can be stretched out to like a 12-week study, you know. And so, and most Bible studies are, you know, an hour long, which is what we are allotted. And so, obviously, we don't have 12 weeks, and obviously, I'm not going to make it through the whole book. And nor did I try. So, uh, we might make it an hour, and we might, if I get nervous and buzz through it, we might be done in time to go get a drink before they're done downstairs. <laughs> so, James, James chapter 1, verse 1 says, James, a servant of God. And of the Lord Jesus Christ to the twelve tribes which are scattered abroad. Greeting. James called himself a servant. Uh, think of all the things that James did. You know, he's a pastor. You know, they say he's the pastor of the biggest church, the largest church ever. You know, he was a servant. You know, our pastor teaches to serve. Never stop moving chairs. James was a servant. Called himself a servant. Verses 2 through 4, we learn about facing trials and and how we can learn from them it says um, <clears throat> and this first passage of scripture two through four i'm going to read the king james version and then read the new living translation and then every other uh, uh, verse that i read after that is going to be in the new living translation so if you're following along it's going to look a little bit different in your bibles unless you have new living translation bible so verse two says my brethren count it all joy when you fall into diverse temptations knowing this that the trying of your faith, faith worketh patience. But let patience have a perfect work, that you may be perfect and entire, wanting nothing. In the New Living Translation it says, Dear brothers and sisters, when troubles of any kind come your way, consider it an opportunity for great joy. For you know that when your faith is tested, your endurance has a chance to grow. So let it grow. For when your endurance is fully developed, you'll be perfect and complete, needing nothing. Can anybody here tell me what the word temptation means in this in this reference, this passage of scripture? Come on, even I knew this one. The word temptation here is not uh, an enticement to moral sin. It's not, you know, I'm I'm tempted to go, uh, you know, do bad things. The word temptation here just simply means uh, a test. Of your faith, and so, really, what it, it's kind of you know, it's, it's, you have to read it, you have to look into it, study it, because uh, if you just read it as it was, you know, you think, okay, I'm going to be tempted. What am I going to be tempted to do? I'm going to be tempted to do a lot of things, man. We're, you know, we could be tempted to do a whole lot of things, but it's not what it means. It says a test of our faith, and so, when our faith is tested, where do you stand? What are you going to do? Faith only reaches maturity through opposition. So naturally, you know, you know, the only way for your faith, you know, the Bible says that faith come by hearing, hearing by the word of God. Well, obviously, you know, that's, you can grow your faith that way. 
But how is your faith tested? Your faith is only tested when it's tested, when you're tested. You know, when you, when you don't know if you can handle it. When you're going through something that you're not enjoying, you know, your faith is very is very tested through opposition. Troubles are not any sign that God is angry with you. You know, things when we go through things, when we have struggles in life, you know, oftentimes, you know, you hear somebody you know saying, "I cried out to God," or you know. Or maybe you've done it, you know. God, why me? Type thing, you know. But <clears throat> troubles are not any sign that God is mad. But in fact, it could be a sign that uh, God really uh, trusts you. Really. Think about Job. You know, did God, did God test or tempt Job? No, God, well, God didn't tempt Job because we'll, we'll, we'll read later and we'll see later where, you know, temptations don't come from God. But can you say that God tried Job? Sure. Because he allowed the enemy to do it. Why? God wouldn't allow the enemy, God would not have allowed the devil to tempt or try or, uh, you know, torment Job had he thought Job was going to buckle. But God let the enemy try and tempt and torment Job because he knew that Job was faithful and Job was going to remain faithful. Asking God for wisdom and dealing with temptations and trials. Verse 5 says, If you need wisdom, ask our generous God. Mind you, this is a New Living Translation. Ask our generous God, and He will give it to you. He will not rebuke you for asking. But when you ask Him, be sure that your faith is in God alone. Do not waver. For a person with divided loyalty, as is unsettled as a wave in the sea that is blown and tossed by the wind. Such people... These kind of people, the people that are being tossed from here and there, the people that don't have unwavering faith, the people who are asking but they really don't believe. Such people should not expect to receive anything from the Lord. Their loyalty is divided between God and the world, and they are unstable in everything that they do. What's the point in asking God for something if you really don't have faith and believe? You know, and that's easy to do. It's easy to do. It's easy to cry out to God because we're taught to ask God. We're taught to pray. We're taught to ask God for things. We're taught to ask God to lead us and guide us and give us direction. But it's our human nature to go about and do things the way that we think they should be done. It's our human nature to go about and do things the way that you know, we see that they should go. And that can lead you down really nasty roads. And past, you know, it could lead you to a road of destruction real quick and easy because, you know, you might pray and then you choose to do whatever you want to do, and then next thing you know, while hell's breaking loose in your life, and next thing you know, you're blaming God. Well, you prayed and you asked, but you really didn't have faith. And it, you know, the Bible says a double minded man is unstable in all of his ways. And so, God responds, God responds only to faith. When, when there's true faith, when it's real faith. Hebrews 11, verse 6 says, that it is impossible to please God without faith. Anyone who wants to come to Him must believe that God exists and He is a rewards, He rewards those who sincerely seek Him. It's an easy first to quote because we all know it and I'm trying to quote it in the King James I'm trying to read it and you're living at the same time. <laughs> Get a little caught up in your words there. Uh, asking for wisdom in the face of Diverse temptations uh, requires a willingness to accept from God an answer that is other than 
yes or no. Does that make sense? When you ask something in faith, you have to be like Job. How many times, how many times in the book of Job can you read that Job cried out? A lot. Like when you read Job, you kind of get the picture that he might not have faith. When you read Job, you know, if you read into it too much, if you read into it, you, you kind of start thinking that Job is, maybe Job is the guy that, that everybody paints a picture of him to be. Because it sounds like he's kind of a crybaby. He's crying out an awful lot. And why me? And why this? And why, you know? But when you're asking faith, you got to be ready to hear an answer that's not just simple, not just straightforward, yes or no. You have to be prepared <clears throat> to even hear the painful prolonged silence because sometimes we don't get an answer do we I mean everybody in this room can probably probably tell me a time that you prayed about something and, and maybe yet still to this day don't have an answer you know oftentimes when your prayer starts with a why you don't get an answer because God does what God does God does it for a reason and sometimes we don't need to know the why you never told Job Exactly. Never did tell Job. And, you know, it's, it's the trying and testing of our faith. We may never know a lot of answers until we get to heaven. And by then, you probably won't need to know why. Because you'll just be rejoicing. I know I'm going to be rejoicing that I made it. In Acts 10, Cornelius, he says he prayed a, a memorial prayer. And it said he prayed for years. He believed and he prayed for years for, for someone to come. Right. And, right. And then finally Peter shows up one day. Right. Hey Amen. That's good. That's good. Job, no doubt, probably struggled with his faith, but remained faithful. And we need to be like Job. Having this kind of faith and truly giving it, whatever it is, the it in your life today could be different than your it in your life last week, last month, last year, or next week, next month, next year. Truly giving it to God doesn't mean that, that, that we're free from pain. Doesn't mean that we're free from stress. Doesn't mean that we're free from, you know, aggravations. Just because you gave it to God doesn't mean that you're free from all this stuff. Because we're human, right? I mean, I can say I gave it to God, but I'm still human. And I still stress over things, and I still worry, and I still... And, you know, I know that, you know, worry is a sin and we're not supposed to worry and we're supposed to really, truly give it to God. But, man, that's so much easier said than done, you know, because we are human. But this is where the trying and testing of your faith, how faithful are you, how, how, how much faith do you have and how faithful are you going to be? You know, are you going to leave it in the hands of God? You know, we've heard, we've heard sermons preached over the years, hundreds of them, time and time again, you know, bring it to the altar and leave it there. And, you know, you see people that, and... and just from simple observation, you see people come to church and you know that they're struggling with something, whatever that something is in their life, and then they go to the altar and they pray and they have a breakthrough. And then whether it's the next Sunday or whether it's a couple months later or, you know, who knows when they come back, they're struggling with the same thing. Well, what do we say? We say, well, they didn't leave it at the altar. They picked it up and took it back with them. Well, obviously their faith is wavering, right? Obviously their faith is not where it should be because they feel like they can do better and I say they, we, I, feel like I can do better. We feel like we could do better than what God can do. That's really what we're saying. We're not saying it verbally, but it's really what we're saying. Because when we stress and we fear, 
you know, and we, and we worry more than what we should, are we really putting it in God's hands? So I'm, I know it sounds like I'm saying two different things here because, you know, when I say if we really give it to God, that doesn't mean that we're free of pain. doesn't mean we're free of stress. It doesn't mean, you know, that you're not affected by your current circumstance because we are. But what is your mindset? What is your mindset? You know, I, I've personally been stressing over this job situation for two years. For two years I've been stressing over a current circumstance, current situation that I potentially very potentially put myself in. I prayed for this job. I prayed for my job at the prison. And granted, I can, I can say whatever I want to say. I can say that I didn't realize how it was going to be, that I never worked for a union, that you know it was told to me something different, I was misled, and all those things are true. But the fact of the matter is, is here I am, right in the middle of my nasty circumstance right in the middle of my nasty situation that I'm struggling and stressing over and I'm praying every day about God, do whatever you got to do to get me out of here, whatever it takes. So just because I have faith that God's going to do something, just because I have faith that God's going to move and God's going to work, doesn't mean that I don't still deal with my current circumstance day in and day out. But understanding and believing that, that God really does have it, under control. That's the important part. You know, I come home many days, probably five days a week, and complain and stress and get emotional and I'm, I'm upset. And, you know, every time I go to work, I mean, very seldom, very seldom. Here, here as of lately, it's been a couple days a week that I could say, how, how was your day, Darren? It was good. A couple days a week. And the other three or four days a week, it's been pretty miserable. And I'd be lying to you if I told you that I didn't lay in bed and say, God, why? What are you doing? What's going on? What's happening? I need you to move. I need you to do something. I need you to work because I'm going crazy. I don't see the light at the end of the tunnel. And I need something from you. But at the end of the day, really truly knowing down deep inside, being able to take a deep breath and say, this is just temporary. This is really is just temporary. God is going to move. God is going to do something. God is going to work this all out. Amen. That's faith. Having faith doesn't mean everything's perfect. Having faith doesn't mean that you're not going to stress and struggle. But having faith just is understanding when you go to bed at night that I'm not going to be the one to make the next decision. It's like a game of chess. I don't play chess, but I know it's long and boring. And so it's like a game of chess. It's, you know, wait patiently for the next move to be made. And that's where I was at for a long time. I was waiting for God to make his move. <laughs> Rest assured, I might be hurting. I might be my breaking point. I might be ready to throw in a towel. But God. And everybody here has been there. Everybody here has been there. Your, your situation might not be a work situation, you know. God bless your soul if you're that person that just loves their job like Allison Fisher. You know, just goes to work and just loves everything about it and doesn't affect her one bit. And 3.15 comes and she's ready to work till 4.15 because she's just not ready to go home yet. Even when you're not. Every, every, everybody's situations aren't work-related like mine, but... 
And I'm sure I have other issues, but man, they've been, they've definitely been (laughs) hidden in the shadows of the work situation for two years. So, uh, I won't indulge in, in, in any kind of, uh, lengthy information, but I will tell you that God is moving. And, uh, the 29th of this month is my last day at Planet Correctional Center. So, uh, I'm, I'm happy about that as well. Uh, nervous, nervous as all get out. Uh, but, but God, like I just said, but God, and, uh, I don't, I don't doubt one bit as much as my nervousness, uh, wants to try to grip me, uh, as much as my fear, as much as fear tries to grip me and about what the future holds. Uh, I know that this was a decision, uh, that was, that was prayerfully considered and, but God, right? We need to get to the point that we have enough spiritual capacity to see things from God's viewpoint. That's tough. That's tough. That's hard for anybody. I mean, that's hard for anybody. You know, even even the most you know the the the, the biggest prayer warrior that you could think of. You know, it's not always easy to see things from God's viewpoint. It's not always easy to see the way God is going to work things out. Because I mean, obviously, we're not mind readers. Um, and even if you you know even if you pray eight hours a day and fast eight days a week, you know, you're you're not going to always see things from God's viewpoint. But we need to strive to get there. Right. We need to strive to try to see the things, you know, see see what's going to happen in our lives from God's viewpoint. And when things are going bad, when we're being tested and we're being tried and, and things don't seem like they're going our way and things don't seem like they're going very good at all, we need to try to see the positive in it. We need to try to see, God, what are you doing? What are you trying to do in this situation? You know, and, and, and the miserable four and a half years that I had at the prison, I know, my, I know now, I know now what my position was there. And... I also know when my when that opportunity when that position was taken from me. I can tell you exactly when it happened. I know what my purpose was of being there, and I know when I was released from there. I just had to wait for things to work. <clears throat> that was not easy. Staying in a position where you know you're not, you know, necessarily supposed to be, but waiting for the opportunity to, to get out of it. Trying to see things from God's viewpoint. Trying to see things. God, why? If you released me, how long ago? Why am I still here? Why are you not opening the doors for me to go where I'm supposed to go? Where next? What next? But trying to understand, God, I'm okay with this for now because this is where you have me for now. I don't know how much longer I'm going to be okay with that. Oh, seeing things from God's viewpoint. Ask God what he wants you to do and being okay with the answer. Sometimes <laughs> you're not okay with the answer. That's what I was just talking about. God, what do you want me to do? You released me. I'm done here. I know it's as crazy as that sounds. I feel like my work is done here. Okay. When I really didn't, I did. This isn't in my notes, and I didn't intend to talk so much about me or my job, but it's really what's going on in my life right now. So it's just fresh. So. You know, one could imagine, you know, you get an opportunity to go work at a maximum security institution, men's facility, you know, and uh, you pray about it, you pray about it, you pray about it, the door's open, God makes a way, and when the door's open, you walk through the door. Uh, you know, you, you, you wonder, you know, you go in, you're gung-ho, you got a new job, you feel like you're going to change the world, you feel like you're going to save everybody, you're going to baptize 1,300 people overnight and get them all filled with the Holy Ghost, and you feel like you're just on top of the world, right? Well, it doesn't work that way. It really doesn't. It doesn't work that way. You go to work. You're in an absolute disgusting environment. You know, 
And when you go through your tour, when you go to your tour, the tour of the facility, two weeks before you even start your job, you're told by many, many staff that, hey, really, truly, honestly, as long as you treat these inmates with respect, give them the respect that, you know, that they're due, they're men, they've already been tried, they're here, this is their punishment, they don't need to be punished every day. Right. Just treat them with respect, treat them as humans, you won't have no problems with the inmates. But the staff, watch your back. Yes. What? Like, I've never in my life experienced anything like this. Like, I, you know, and I just like kind of let it roll off my back. So I'm thinking like, hey, you guys are crazy, right? Well, it was about six months of being there. I was there for about six months and I was happy. For six months, I was happy. I mean, you know, I did exactly that, which I didn't need to be told that because I was never anticipating treating the guys with anything less than respect. You know what I mean? I'm obviously an authoritative figure and I have, I'm a, you know, I'm in security and uh, a level of security. I'm a dietary, but I'm, we're still a level of security. And as long as you treat them with respect, just like they said, they're going to treat you with respect. I've seen guys treat, I've seen guys treat inmates horrible, uh, talk down to them, degrade them physically, mentally, um, verbally, you know, something that I would never do anyways. And so I didn't have any problems. Just like they said, I didn't have any problems with inmates. I really didn't have any problems with staff for about the first six months, so I was happy. I got a new job. I'm on top of the world. I'm able to be a witness. I'm able to be a light. All along thinking that I was placed there to witness and be a witness to staff. Really, honestly, I don't know why, but it never even dawned on me that I was going to be there to be a witness to inmates. You know, at the end of the day, I guess you probably you know kind of get a, the stigma and this, this mindset that, well, they're inmates, they're criminals, they're horrible people, they're there for a reason, they're going to die, and they're going to go burn and go to hell because they're bad people. When, when no. No, not at all, because they're humans, and God died on a cross, you know, for them, and shed his blood for them, just like he did for you, you know, and, and, and you know, and not, not trying to, you know, I don't want to sound like a tough guy or like I'm boasting, but, you know, I, you know, I had the opportunity to, to, to witness uh, many times to inmates, and, you know, I couldn't, I had to tell them the truth. The truth is, is man, there's, there's an extremely fine line between me living here and me working here. And the only difference is, is you got caught. You know, there's things that I've done in my past, in my eight years and eight and a half years of being backslid, that could have landed me there too. And so really you have to have a different perspective and, and understand, you know, and my, my mindset shifted. And I realized after six months and getting wrote up over a lie, getting lied on by three different staff members, a lieutenant, a sergeant, and an officer that put me on paper and I was able to take this write-up to the major's office, to the shift commander's office, and say, I want you to do me a favor. Go to the cameras. Now, mind you, I'm a little boisterous. I'm a, I'm a little forward. Um, and I'm a little more forward when I know I'm innocent and you're accusing me of something. I, I don't like that. Uh, I don't, I, most people probably don't. However, I probably do handle myself a little bit different than most. Uh, so I was very adamant. You're going to go to the cameras. Well, no, we're not. No, you are, because you can't use the cameras to use against me as discipline, but you can use the cameras to use for me to prove that I'm innocent. And so I made them look at all the cameras, and everything that they were able to see on cameras and timelines proved this write-up wrong and proved me right. I realized then everything they said six months ago was, in fact, 100% correct. Watch your back, because staff is crazy. They're bogus. And I realized then that God has me here 
for a different reason than what I thought. God placed me there to be a witness and help the inmates. Now, mind you, I was put on the farm. The farm is the medium security unit. It's a separate unit. It's still Pontiac Correctional Center, but it's a separate unit from the, from the maximum security unit. It's out back, back in the day, early 1900s, it was a, it was a farm. That's what I call it, the farm. And so <clears throat> I was put out there in the kitchen out there for a year straight. And I was, uh, I was able to be helpful. I was able to minister. I was able to, to fulfill my calling at Pine Correctional Center in the fullest. I was able to do Bible studies with inmates. We had some downtime in between breakfast and lunch. And I was able to sit down and do Bible studies with inmates. I was able to pray with inmates. We were having, man, we were having a fantastic move of God. You know, nobody was shouting and running the aisles and speaking in tongues and getting the Holy Ghost. But I had 27 guys that wanted to be baptized in Jesus' name. And when Brother Bruce, when, when Brother Bruce first got here and was here full time, I was trying to get him to get in there as a, as a religious volunteer. And then everything happened and then they started shutting that down. And he still hasn't, wasn't able to get in there but, uh, because of COVID and all that stuff. But I had 27 guys that wanted to be baptized. And they... they State policy, their Pontiac policy, not state policy. Pontiac policy was, you know, they're only allowed to baptize one guy a week, and it's a big process, and this and that, and this and that. And I was, I was able to convince them, look, if we just filled the trough, what's the matter? These are all medium security guys. Let's just get it done. And and so I had them extremely close to agreeing. Um, it just never happened. Um, but so. I'm totally not even talking about James anymore, uh, but I am. You know, we'll get there. I am. Uh, so anyways, uh, in doing so and being out there, uh, another very uh, bitter, vindictive staff member comes out on my days off and throws away all the Bibles that are in my dress, in my, in my desk, in my dresser, in my desk drawer. So... Uh, inmates would come on Sundays. I work Sundays. Inmates would come on Sundays and they would bring their Bible. They had the workers, the guys that worked for me. They would come on Sundays and they would bring their Bibles because they would leave the kitchen and go straight to church and so and then come back. So they were able to bring their Bibles. And that was, it was a loophole. Uh, they're not allowed to bring stuff to the kitchen with them. Um, but because we were having Bible studies and because we were doing the things that, was, was, that we were doing, uh, they were they started bringing their Bibles to, to to work with them and then they would leave them there And so now I've got several Bibles in my desk drawer for the guys. I'm, I'm holding them for them No big deal, right? They're in my drawer. They're locked up. They're in a locked up office uh, And so another supervisor came in on my day off and threw away all the Bibles and Wrote me up and went and told the major and went and told internal affairs and went and told everybody that I'm in I'm fraternizing with inmates I'm uh, sitting down at the table with them and praying with them and hugging them and shaking their hand and, and having Bible study with them and everything else. So now here I am under investigation. I'm under investigation. Why are you fraternizing with inmates? Why do you think this is so important? So here I'm happy for six months. Everything falls through. I'm miserable. I get lied on. I get sent out to the farm back to being happy, right? I'm like, God, what are you doing here? I'm not going to be effective with, with staff because this is just a really crazy place to be. You know, my faith was being tried. Then I get this, you know, spot on the farm. I'm able to go to the farm, and I, and I loved it. It was just a completely different atmosphere from the maximum security prison. It's a completely different atmosphere, completely different environment. And so I'm like, whew, I get a kind of like a 
breath of fresh air. Okay, God, here I am. I'm in the vein. I'm doing what I'm doing. What you want me to do? I feel good about it, right? And then, boom, smack in the face. You can't tell me my, my faith wasn't tested. You can't tell me I wasn't being tried, right? Extremely tried. Extremely tested. Because here I am, like, you know, now I'm wondering, am I going to lose my job? You know, I'm wondering, you know, they're really, they're really hounding me. You know, they're really hounding me. You know, they, they think because I'm doing Bible studies that I'm also the guy bringing the cell phones in. And I'm also the guy bringing the cigarettes in. And I'm also the guy bringing all the stuff in. You know, it's like, you know, what's Fisher doing? What, what, what do you, you know? I heard from many inmates. What, you know, what are you, what are you, uh, you know, they're, they're being put under investigation too. Being asked questions about me. Guys that had nothing to do with me, but there are other people. You know, and I'm like, and so when I'm hearing this, you know, I'm just getting beat up. I'm beat up every day. I'm just getting beat up. You know, I go into work and I try to be in a good mood and I try to, you know, pray on the way to work. I got a 40 minute drive to work and I pray and I spend time with God and I feel like I'm doing well and I feel like everything's good. And I walk in and by, I get there by 4.30 and by 5.30 I'm being hounded by an inmate. Hey man, what's going on with you and I? What do you mean? Nothing's going on with me and I. Well man, they, they pulled me in the, up, upstairs the other day and asked me, what do you know about Fisher? Who's Fisher? That, you know, that supervisor that came in off the streets, you know, and, and, so I'm like, I'm, you know, they're asking questions about me, trying to get me in trouble. And I'm, I didn't do anything wrong. God, why? So I'm being tested. And so, you know, let's just say, at that point, I knew it was time to go. Just took a long time to get out of there. All right, understand that trials level the playing field. Listen. We'll read. Verses 9 through 12. Believers who are poor have something to boast about, for God has honored them. And those who are rich should boast that God has humbled them. They will fade away like a little flower in the field. The hot sun rises and the grass withers. The little flower droops and falls, and its beauty fades away. In the same way, the rich will fade away with all of their achievements. God blesses those who patiently endure testing and temptations. Afterward, they will receive the crown of life that God has promised to those who love Him. Listen, trials level the playing field. Because the Bible says that the rain falls on the just and the unjust, just alike. doesn't matter your achievements. doesn't matter what you've done in life. doesn't matter if you've done nothing in life. Listen, God doesn't love you any more than He loves the homeless man over there on Market Street. God isn't going to bless you any more than He's willing to bless the man over there on Market Street. It's just the facts. God doesn't care about your achievements. God doesn't care about your degrees. God doesn't care if you don't have a degree. God doesn't care if you don't have an education. God doesn't care if you don't know how to read His Word. He'll teach you. His grace and mercy is the same for everybody. Amen? Amen. Don't, don't get me wrong. I believe God wants us to be successful. I mean, if you have nothing, you can't be a good steward of nothing, can you? He talks a lot about being a good steward of what you have. So if you have nothing, you can't be a good steward of nothing. God wants us to be successful, but it's not your success that's going to make a difference whether or not you go to heaven or hell. He loves us all the same. Whether you're rich, poor, smart, not smart, what God cares about is our relationship with Him. That's what's important to Him. Amen. <clears throat> In the same way, trials happen to everyone the same. And, uh, you know, happy is the man who endures trials, rich or poor. The difference between trials and temptation. Verse 13 says, and remember, I'm going to read 13 through 18. It says, and remember, when you are being tempted, 
Do not say, God is tempting me. I told you we were going to get here. God never tempted. <clears throat> God is never tempted to do wrong. And He never tempts anyone else. Temptation comes from our own desires, which entice us and drag us away. These desires give birth to sinful action. And when sin is allowed to grow, it gives birth to death. So don't be misled, my dear brother and sister. Whatever is good and perfect is a gift from coming down from us to us from God our Father, who created all the lights in the heavens. He never changed or cast a shifting shadow. He chose to give birth to us by giving us His true word, and we, out of all creation, became His prized possession. If someone is tempted to do wrong, if you're tempted to do wrong, it's not God that's tempting you. Trials? That's one thing. God might try us. He's going to try your faith. Just like the enemy can try your faith. God can try your faith. God allows things to happen to us. Just like Job. Just like we talked earlier. But God has never tempted you. His very nature is against wrongdoing. God does not like wrongdoing. God does not like sinful nature. Temptation to sin is the pull of man's very own will. Thoughts and wishes. I mean, if you're tempted to do something, you know, what does the Bible say? says that he was, he, he's not going to give us any more temptation than we can bear, right? He's going to give us a way out. He's going to give us... That's the most misunderstood scripture in the Bible. Where people say, well, God's not going to give us more than we can handle. Mm. I mean, when is your faith... When is your faith... The strongest, you know. I heard uh, this. This was a long time ago, and I was, we were just pretty, pretty fresh coming here. But we had a revival with uh, Luke St. Clair, and he said, and I like the way he said it. He said, you know, he said, when you're at the end of your rope and your rope is just being stretched, you're still comfortable because you know you're being held up. But when you hear that snap, that's when your faith kicks in. God will give you more than you can handle because it ain't about you. Right. It's about how much faith you have in Him. That verse is not talking about just life. It's not just talking about what you can and can't handle. That verse is talking about temptation only. Study it. Look it up. Evil thoughts lead to evil actions, which lead to God's judgment. Which what we read earlier was death. So, be careful. Because, you know, a lot of times I hear people say, well, you know, God's, let, God's allowing this to happen. You know, why... Ask somebody, why are you doing this if you know it's wrong? Well, I mean, you know, God, you know, God, God's the one that puts this stuff in my mind, and, and I pray that He wouldn't put it in my mind. And he still lets it happen. Well, you're human, and this goes all the way back to Adam and Eve, and you have a decision, and it's not God that's making you do it. You think about these things, and what what you, what you put before you is probably what you're going to be tempted to do. You know, I mean. I don't mean to meddle or be on a soapbox. I don't. I don't know. I don't know anybody's personal. I mean, most people in here, I guess I do. But if you struggle with drinking, don't walk down a liquor aisle. Right. If you struggle with smoking, don't walk down the smoking aisle, the cigarette aisle. Right. You know. If you struggle with pornography, then don't sit on the computer at nighttime when you should be in bed, or anytime. You know. Whatever you struggle with, don't put before your face. Don't don't put before yourself. You're tempting yourself. You make the decision to do this. Well, what about if I'm just driving down the road and I'm tempted to do something? Okay, 
Well, pray about it. Pray about it. You're in control of your own mind. You're in control of your thoughts. Take every thought into captivity. Right? So you're, you're in control. You pray, God, I plead the blood of Jesus over my mind. God, take these thoughts away from me. God, help me. Help me to overcome these temptations. Because at the end of the day, temptation takes action. It, it takes action to follow through with temptation. If you're driving down a road, let's just say, let's just say, uh, let's just say you have a crazy uh, addiction of, you know, giving road rage, and you like flipping people off. I just use that because I, I don't, I don't know anybody else. I don't want to, I don't want to meddle on anybody else's personal thing, and I don't want nobody. I don't want anybody to think I'm attacking them. Let's just say that it's a crazy analogy, but let's just say that. Well, guess what? It takes you raising your hand and doing that action to make the temptation come to fruition, right? Okay, if you're driving down a road and you don't have access to what you're tempted to do, it takes you pulling into somewhere and purchasing or take, indulging some way, somehow to do it, right? So don't tell me that God is tempting you because temptation is not a sin. Just because you have temptation doesn't mean you're sinning. You can be tempted every day. God was tempted. The enemy tempted, the devil tempted God. Was he sinning? No, God was without sin. Jesus was without sin. We know that, right? So temptation is not sin. It's the action that, that whether or not you follow through with it or you, or you don't do it is, is where the decision needs to be made. So evil thoughts lead to evil actions. It leads to God's judgment, which is, the Bible explains that's death. Uh, don't be misled. There's a difference between trials and temptations, for sure. Being a believer results in actions. Uh, obviously, we just talked about negative actions. Being a believer results in positive actions. Uh, verses 19 through verses 20, verse 27 says, Understand this, my dear brother and sister. You must be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to anger. Well, I'm going to stop there just for a second, because that's good. That's good. And I'm tempted to say all kinds of stuff sometimes. <laughs> sometimes, you know... Everything you need to know, you know, they say everything you need to know in life you learn, you know, before third grade or whatever. Everything you need to know in life you need to learn right here in the Word, you know. And it's just doing it, you know, that results in action. We have to have action behind it, you know. Quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to anger. You know, somebody probably was reading the Bible when they came up with the term, God gave you two ears and one mouth for a reason. Listen twice as much as you talk, right? I'm pretty sure whoever said that first probably read his Bible, I would have to think. Verse 20, human anger does not produce the righteousness God desires. Well, that's kind of that's uh, confusing because the Bible also says be angry and sin not, right? Well, we're talking about action. So, you know, I could be mad, I could be angry. What's my action about it? You know, human anger... Our human nature wants us to act upon our anger, right? Human anger wants us to act upon what we're angry about or, or, or try to take care of it ourselves or try to handle it ourselves. But James is saying that, that human anger does not produce the righteousness God desires. Well, exactly, but if it's a godly anger, God, God gave us the emotions, right? Yes. God, God made us crazy. He did. God, I mean, God messed up our God. Our minds are wired the way we're wired, and God did that to us. Whether you like it or not, I mean, you didn't choose 
to have the thoughts and stuff. I mean, you can choose to have, you know, the, the way that we process things. My wife and I, we do everything we do just about different. And I, you know, I didn't choose to be exactly opposite of her. You know, the way, the way she drives, I don't drive like that. The way she chooses to do things, I don't choose to do things, you know. I don't do things the way Neil does things. You know, we do. We, we probably get up in the morning and our routines are different. You know, he probably brushes his hair different than I do and brushes his teeth different than I do. We all do things different. God gave us our mindsets. God gave us the ability to be angry. And he also gave us the decision to act on it or not act on it. Verse 21. So get rid of all the filth and evil in your lives and humbly accept the word God has planted in your heart. <clears throat> For it is the power to save your soul. The King James Version uh, says, uh, says en engrafted, which if you look up the word engrafted, it says it means planted. Um, again, I'm reading from New Living Translation, so it just says planted, but engrafted. When you think about somebody, when you think about the word grafted, obviously the word engrafted comes from graft. Um, when you... <laughs> When you, I, I, I googled it, and there's a million different, there are a million different uh, uh, definitions for it. But when I didn't write it down, I don't know why I didn't. But Charles, I'm trying to remember exactly how how it was worded. But basically, uh, take good tissue and put it on something that's not. You know, you think of something that's needing needing a skin graft. Like man, that, that I don't know. I just, I guess I should have wrote it down. Maybe I should have wrote my thoughts down instead of skipping over it because it was good when I got it. <laughs> <laughs> Let's read that again after my grafted story. Maybe you can have it put in your head different. So get rid of the filthy and evil in your lives and humbly accept the word that God has planted or grafted in your heart, for it has the power to save your soul. 22. But don't listen to, don't just listen to God's word. You must do what it says. We all know, you know, don't just be hearers of the word, be doers. Otherwise, you're only fooling yourselves. Well, that's pretty good because, I mean, at the end of the day, you know, Christians, well, why read my Bible? I go to church. Okay. I mean, the Word of God says that really you're just fooling yourself if that's all you think it takes because it takes more. It takes, it takes action. Faith without works is dead, right? what the Bible says. I didn't, I didn't make that up. Uh, 23. For if you listen to the word and don't obey, it's like glancing your face in a mirror. See yourself, walk away, and forget what you look like. Man, I thought that was the craziest thing I ever read in my life. You know, we read that, especially reading the King James Version, it's a little different, but basically the same concept. I'm like, how do you do that? Well, after studying out a little bit, you know, I mean, I've seen myself in a mirror enough, but I pretty much have an idea what I look like. This mirror right here. So I know what I look like. If I walk away, I'm not going to forget what I look like because I've seen myself a lot. But the studying out makes sense because they you don't know, talk about in ancient times, obviously, when this was written, mirrors weren't readily available. You know, they didn't have reflections on their nice new Mercedes to go look at themselves in. You know, mirrors weren't there. So I guess it was quite possible to forget what you look like if you only had an opportunity to see a mirror once a year or you know, maybe even longer. You know, uh, off topic, dead joke. Not really a dead joke. Kind of, it's true, it's a fact. You cannot purchase a brand new unused mirror. Just saying. Think about that. Okay, we're going to go on. <laughs> mirrors are used. You're going to buy a mirror, you're buying a used product. I don't care what the price is. <laughs> 
But if you look carefully into the perfect law that sets you free, and if you do what it says and don't forget what you heard, then God will bless you for doing it. I'll explain later. I'm going to read that again. I'm sorry. I mean to disrupt the class. But if you look carefully into the perfect law that sets you free, and if you do what it says and don't forget what you heard, then God will bless you for doing it. If you claim to be religious, but don't control your tongue, you're a fooling yourself. And your religion is worthless. Hmm. That's good. That's good. I can meddle. I'm not going to. <laughs> pure, and genuine, pure and genuine religion in the sight of God the Father means caring for the orphans and the widows and their distress and refusing to let the world corrupt you. You can take that literal. Take it however you want to take it. Caring for people that has less than you. Caring for people that need help. That's what's important. You know? So many times, you know, I will meddle. Go back up to that previous verse. You know, having a filthy tongue doesn't necessarily mean cursing. Doesn't necessarily mean, you know, slandering people. Man, you could take, you could take the word of God and twist it and offend somebody. You could take the word of God and use it as a double, use your tongue as a double-edged sword and offend somebody and, and potentially help them make their path to hell. By just being a good Christian and trying to tell them what's right. Have some wisdom. Have some wisdom. When you're witnessing to people or you're talking to somebody or you're putting stuff on Facebook or you're doing whatever you do, have wisdom. Because you could take this and use it in a negative way just as much as you could take it and use it in a positive way. When the Bible talks about the tongue being unruly, it, I'm pretty sure it means in every aspect of the world. You have to have some sense. You have to have some wisdom. So just because you're a great Christian and you can quote every verse from Genesis to Revelations doesn't mean that you can't hurt somebody's feelings. Right. Amen? Amen. So let's look back. Verse 19. We won't go over it all. Verse 19, listen first, speak second. This makes it difficult to become angry. It really does. It really does. Slow to anger. You know, if Allison and I, and I use us because I can, I don't have to worry about offending anybody else. Might embarrass her, but don't mean to. But if Allison and I are arguing about something, you know, it's easy to say something that maybe, maybe, maybe you don't even mean and you're going to regret later. But you know what? I'm just going to be transparent. I have, a, I have a hard time with using, but it's the truth. As my, as my justification. Just because it's true doesn't mean it has to come out of your mouth. Because I can say a lot of true things that are very hurtful. Right. Right. And I can say a lot of true things that are not going to be in any way, shape, or form beneficial to my marriage or to my relationship. I can say things even outside of my relationship. I can say things to a coworker that might be true. That might make that coworker say, Man, this dude's a jerk. He claims to be a Christian. He claims to be a man of God. And when I could, I could walk out feeling good about myself saying, well, I didn't say anything. It wasn't true. Just because it was true doesn't mean it had to be said. 
So that, I mean, that's, that's powerful. Listen first, speak second, and it makes it difficult to become angry. Nine times out of ten, when I'm angry about something, the more I talk, the madder I get. Right. And you know, when I was young, I got married pretty young. When I was young, my, my thing was, I don't know, I took my anger out on the gas pedal. I would leave, <laughs> burn tires and leave and go for a ride and be gone for an hour. And I'd come back and I'd feel better. Now, it wasn't because I smoked the tires or burnt the gravel or spit gravel over another car. Or it wasn't because I did that that made me feel better. It was because I, would, I separated myself from the conversation and I spoke less. And then I'd come home and then 20 minutes later, we get into another conversation. And I'd speak more and I'd still be angry. <laughs> because it says, <laughs> speak second. You know, think first, listen, listen first, and speak second. Well... Something I had to work on over 20 years of marriage. Anger is bad news. It just is. You know, even though I read earlier and said earlier, you know, be angry and sin not, anger is just bad news. I mean, really, if you can, if you can stop yourself from being angry, then, then stop yourself from being angry. You know, uh, if, if listening more than speaking makes it difficult to be angry, then do that because the least amount of anger that you're allowing yourself to get, then the better off you are. Uh, <clears throat> the King James Version... Oh, I already went there. Sorry. See, that's why I have to jump ahead of your notes. Understand that ungodly living both inside and outside is, is, is not good. Just because you come to church and people see the way you're living and people see the way you're, you know, if they think you can worship and you can dance and you can run the aisles and you do all this stuff, great. But if you're a jerk at home, right. it's no different. That's, I mean, you're, you know, you're still going to have to answer to God for that because you're only fooling yourself, right? Okay. So, basically, don't be fake. Don't be phony. Uh, and don't justify it by saying, but I worship God well because it doesn't matter. If you're not doing it at home too, then I don't know what, I don't know what's going to happen with you. Matthew 22, I'm going to read verse 36 through 40. It says, Master, which is the great, which is the greatest commandment of the law, or in the law? So Jesus said unto him, Thou shalt love thy Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, with all thy mind. This is the first and the great commandment. And the second is like unto it, Thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. On these two commandments hang all the law and the, uh, and the, and the prophets. Widows in the Bible were uncared for and had few ways to support themselves. It's just an example. You know, I, I feel like it's just an example. I mean, if everybody in the church went and took care of the one widow, she'd have way more than all of us have. You know what I mean? It's just an example. Um, so, anyhow, uh, that's all I got. Like I said, uh, if you want to hear more on James, um, I grow in 2022. I think it probably starts in October. <laughs> It's only got one night, uh, and this is like a this is like a five to twelve week lesson. So uh, this is just chapter one, um, but <clears throat> that's all I have for tonight.